Well, good morning, Redeemer Fellowship Church. Unfortunately, we are not together. We are apart. We're having to do our worship service online. And so therefore, we have to, have to preach online. And while we wish we were together, we are apart this morning. And we are going to continue our series in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, this has been our Lent series. And looking forward to talking more about what Paul is getting to, uh, teaching the Galatian church, but the importance of being free from the law, free from their past. And uh, the title of this sermon is, um, How Do We Survive the Coronavirus Pandemic? And I promise you, we're not going to talk every week about this virus and just ad nauseum continue to talk about this. But I think it's important, this being really the first week where we've really kind of felt this pandemic, having to be quarantined or separated from one another, not even being able to have church gatherings like this, and having to do it online. We really feel this pandemic. We feel the significance and the seriousness of this pandemic. Several states in our country have basically told people to stay at home, not to go to work. California, New York, our states that they've told, and I think Illinois as well, have told state, uh, people in their states to not go to work not to go to church, uh, only go out for the essential things like food and medicine. So how do we survive a pandemic like cor- the coronavirus? For most of us, we've never lived in a situation that somewhat feels like a wartime feeling. Basically, the government telling you when, you when you can come out of your house and when you can't come out of your house. So how do we survive this pandemic. There was an article that was in a magazine called Foreign Policy called Christianity has been, has been handling epidemics for 2,000 years. And they, they talked about the Christian response to pandemics, uh, uh, kind of widespread um, diseases that affected a large group of people. Uh, the psychological and cultural um, kind of uh, what it takes uh, with a pandemic and how it affects the psychological and cultural uh, impacts of a, of a society. And the possible death tolls and the fear that stalks our communities because of something that is uh, this widespread virus where people are dying because of a disease that they have received from someone else. And um, the Christian response throughout history of uh, pandemics like this one, uh, a similar what the Bible calls Christians to respond to situations like this is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Greater love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. Our own life must always be regarded as less important than our own neighbor's. In the second century, there's a plague called the Antonio Plague. Christians cared for the sick in the Roman Empire, but also provided an understanding to the people of Rome that plagues, like the Antonio Plague, were not the work of angry or capricious deities, but the result of a broken creation which revolted against a loving God. The Christians at that time were able to to teach their their neighbor, to teach their their fellow Romans that this was not, we didn't live in a chaotic world. We didn't live in a world where, where demigods and gods just kind of 
tortured and, and for the sake of a desire to see the, the humans just be to suffer and be in pain. This was not a result of God's, but that creation was broken. That we lived in a fallen world because of sin. And because of that sin, we needed a Savior. And this was able, during these pandemics, uh, a widespread uh, gospel uh, proclamation would go forth and many people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior during these pandemics. And I think today we have a, kind of a mixed understanding of why certain things happen. Why do pandemics like the coronavirus happen? Is it just bad things happen to bad people? We see this in John 8, 34, when the, Jesus healed the blind man. And they basically, at the end of it, the, the Pharisees said, well, you were born into the world because of your sin, meaning that in the sense that you were blind because of the sin of your parents. And there is a view that bad things happen to bad people. And maybe that's why the coronavirus has affected certain people, is because they're bad people and they deserve what they're getting. To others, maybe it's karma. Maybe for some that are that are kind of and uh, kind of a, a part of this kind of uh, climate change movement, maybe this is karma. Maybe this is nature, basically uh, affecting humanity because of their greed. How we treat animals, how we the greed and selfishness and evil that ha- that, that the humanity does to the planet is the karma of the coronavirus. Well, you who's watching this sermon right now at home or on your phone may not believe the coronavirus is a product of karma or angry gods responding to ungrateful people. However, how you handle this pandemic may reflect where you are with God. Being full of crippling fear, caring for your own needs without any concern about others, and relying on other things to bring relief to your souls as you're forced to stay in your home during this pandemic. To many, this has kind of turned into the savage world, right? A world of survival of the fittest has been the response of many, or a struggle to search for meaning and relief in the chaos. How do we survive this pandemic? How do you survive your, this pandemic? The context before we get into Galatians 4, leading up to Galatians 4, from Galatians 1 through Galatians 3, Christians are no longer under the law of Moses. The dietary laws, the holidays and festivals, the Sabbath laws, circumcision. Rather, Christians belong to God through their faith, through their trust in the crucified one, Jesus Christ. And for you who's watching this, interested in church and having the ability to watch it online anonymously, not having to get in your car and go to a church where you don't know anyone and dealing with the uncomfortability of the awkwardness of that. You may be for the first time listening to a sermon, or maybe it's been a long time since you've listened to a sermon from the Bible. And that is the essence of the Christian faith. That we are redeemed, that we are saved that we are Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the crucified one has redeemed us of our sins and we trust in Him. And by trusting in Christ and putting our faith in Christ, our trust in Christ, our belief in Christ and His work on the cross, we are now children of God and belong to God 
for eternity. And nothing can take us from God's hands, not even a pandemic virus that plagues many of us. Paul in Galatians 4 restates what he's already wrote in chapter 3 of Galatians. But he states it in the context of slavery. So let me read Galatians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul writing here in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians is a, is a town in modern-day Turkey called Galatia. And he planted or he started this church, the Apostle Paul. And he writes in verse 1 of chapter 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. And I'm only going to read through 1 through 11. Um, we're going to really focus on those uh, 11 verses. We're going to look a little bit at the last few verses later on. But I really want to start here. And point number one, if you're taking notes, uh, and obviously if you are using the digital hymnal, these notes will be on there. But point number one is you were once slaves to elementary principles of the world. You were once slaves to the elementary principles of the world. Looking at verses one through two, he says, basically, even if you're an heir, you're no better than a slave. And the reason why he says that is because a son or an heir hasn't received that inheritance yet. And instead, he's under a master, he's under a guardian. He basically is one who has not come of age, who's under a controller of his property or wealth that has been promised to him, but is yet to be given. And this is what an heir is. Someone who, who is young, who is a minor, as Paul is saying here, who has not yet received the freedom of that inheritance. And basically what Paul says in verse 2 is, not until the set time of the father will that inheritance be given, or will that son or that heir fully receive what has been promised to him. And what Paul is referring to here is he's referring to heirs of a promise which God made to Abraham. So God made a promise to Abraham that his offspring would be promised blessings from God, that Abraham's offspring would be favored by God. Now, obviously, Jews saw this in their ethnic 
uh, who they were by their race, that they were Jewish by blood, therefore they were offsprings of Abraham. But actually, the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 was a larger, uh, a larger promise, not just to the Jews, but also to the entire world. And we end up fulfilled through Jesus Christ, that those who put their faith in Christ are actually the offspring of Abraham, are a part of the promise that God made to Abraham. And yet before Jesus arrived, before Jesus was sent into the world, before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that time of that fulfillment had not yet come. So in a sense, before all that time, before faith in Christ Jesus, before his death on the cross, it was a promise. In a sense, we were sons or minors of a promise, but not received that promise. The way that I was helpful for me to think of this, it's like me buying a beautiful red Ferrari car for my son Lincoln, who's three years old. I buy him this beautiful car, this gorgeous car. It has 600 horsepower, very fast, very expensive, very rare automobile. However, he can't drive it yet until his appointed time. And that appointed time is set by me. So if I say, well, you're not going to be able to drive this car until you're 21 years old. He has to wait 18 years before he can drive this car. And in fact, so that I'll make sure that he doesn't drive the car, I'll hire someone to take care of the car until the appointed time. And they will prevent my son Lincoln from driving and even touching it until the appointed time. My son is not free to drive it. When we are minors, in the same way, Paul says in verse 3, under the elementary principles of the world, that we are under a tutor, we were under a custodian, we were under a guardian who was, not, was who's preventing us from receiving our inheritance, receiving our promise, and enjoying that promise until the appointed time set by the Father, set by God. And up to that point, the Jewish people were under the law. That was kind of their, their, their custodian, their guardian, their, their mentor who watched over them, who prevented them from receiving this inheritance yet. But for the Galatians, for the Gentiles who didn't have the law, they were under the guardianship of the elementary principles of the world. That is an interesting phrase. What does that mean? What does Paul mean by the elementary principles of the world? Like I said before, under the law for Jews like Paul, the elementary principles of the rudimentary principles, is what that word means in Greek, is basically like when you're a child learning your ABCs. They are the basics of education. They're the basic of things. Coming to Christ for the Jews was the completion of their education. The law was simply rudimentary. It was the basics. It was trying to just basically understand who God was. But when Christ came into the world, when he came, when he sacrificed himself, when he was the perfect lamb of God, the perfect uh, Passover lamb, it was a completion of their education. Now the Gentiles who didn't have the law, this includes the Galatians, this includes us as well, We didn't have the law. We were enslaved to paganism. 
to, to, the, to the Gentiles, to the, the Galatians at this time, those who are part of the Roman Empire, they would have worshipped the physical elements like earth, fire, air, and water, or the heavenly bodies like the sun, the moon, and stars. Astrology was very popular as a religious faith. They would look to the stars. They would look to planetary uh, movement. They would look to comets. They would look to other elements of the universe as, as signs as signed from the gods about what to do or coming doom. And they were beholden to these things. They worshipped creation as the Jews worshipped the wall. Paul even says in Colossians 2, 8 and verse 20, that talk, giving more explanation on what the elementary principles of the world is, philosophy and human traditions, things that are not of Christ, things that are not of God, they are things in the world, not necessarily bad things, but they have come to beholden people and people look to them as for meaning or principles or how to live their life. And they were enslaved to these rudimentary principles, these elementary principles. It, they, in a sense, it took what was good, the law and creation, and twisted it, enslaving men and women, and drives people to despair and condemnation. The law, because it creates this, this system that you have to perfectly follow the law, and anyone who doesn't abide by the law is cursed, it drove people to despair and condemnation. Paganism drives people to worship creation itself and not the God who created it. And it's a bondage to sin. And that really is what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about that they were beholden to, to sin itself. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, actually, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, 21 through 20 through uh, 32. That what, what happens when we're in bondage to sin, it leads to some of the sins that are very common in our world. Starting in verse 20, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal mortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the, cre cre the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passion for their women, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless." Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things observe to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the, the consequence of a bondage to sin, where we start with 
uh, not knowing God. And Paul basically says this in verse 8 through 11, because you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. So their slavery or being under these elementary principles of the world were based off an inability or a, did not knowing God. And because they didn't know God, they were enslaved to sin. They were enslaved to idolatry. They served idols. They served false gods. This was very true for the Galatians who were Roman. They would worship false gods. They called on anything that you call, um, you worship as and you replace the true God is an idol. And this was very, very much understood in those days that whatever you call anything a false god or an idol is anyone or anything that, you, that replaces the true God. You replace the creator with something else. You replace the, your, the savior with something else. When you don't know God, you trust the things that you believe are greater than yourself to bring you comfort and freedom and salvation. When you don't know God, you're going to replace God with something. You're going to replace God with something you believe is greater than yourself that will bring you comfort and freedom and salvation. A non-divine, which is what we are, we are finite beings, we're not God, we're not divine, depends on the divine, the non-dependent. Anything that we see as something outside ourselves that has greater power than us, that we don't see as someone who is dependent on us or anything else, we will associate as divine. And as humans, we want to stand in proper relation to the divine. And paganism... It's an understanding where you're putting divinity to some part or aspect or force or principle in the universe open to our ordinary experiences and thoughts. For many, it's nature, right? Nature, we see the world around us, we see the universe, we see nature as divine, as this self-existent segment of reality in which all else depends. Look to something as a giver of favor and blessing, that if we treat it well, it will treat us well. That's why for many people see this virus as karma, as we have treated nature badly over the last hundred years, and now nature is repaying that evil with this pandemic virus. And so we want to be in favor. We want blessings for what we see as divine. And so therefore we will make decisions. We will, we will, uh, we will do certain things in our daily lives that will, in our hope, give us favor or blessing. And what Paul is calling these Christian Galatians out, he even says here in verse 9, how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? So basically what Paul is saying is, is that you have heard the gospel, you've heard about Christ Jesus who was crucified, you've heard about the one who hung on a tree and was cursed to, to the substitute for the curse that you were under because of the law and because of your inability and your lack of worship of God or not even knowing God. And you've been, and you were once worshippers of the elementary uh, spirits. You worshipped the, the 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 elements of the world. You worshipped the planetary, the plan, the planets, and the moon, and the sun, and the stars. You worshipped these gods that weren't even gods by nature. He says, worthless and weak. He calls them. Why are you turning back to them? If you have Christ. If you have the, the Savior, if you have the Son of God in your life, why would you turn back to these worthless and weak elementary principles of the world that aren't even by their nature gods? 
for these uh, Galatian Christians, they had gone. They have gone to the law, observing days and months and season and years. He says in verse ten, they're now following the Sabbath law. They're following the Old Testament calendar of festivals and seasons dictated by the law. The, and what's so interesting about this, which was kind of groundbreaking, was what Paul is saying here is that the law equips the paganism. That if you worship these idols and these gods that the Romans did, but yet you're, and, you're, and someone else who worships or follows the law, you're no different in the eyes of God. You're looking to something else that is weak and worthless and unable to save. You're looking to that to be your Savior and to be your Lord, and it is worthless and it is weak and unable to save. And Paul is calling this a return to slavery. And he even says here in verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Meaning, I have done all of these things. I have preached the gospel to you. I have seen new life in you. But now you are turning back to your old ways. And he is heartbroken by this. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Maybe life isn't in you. Maybe you haven't been saved by Christ. Maybe you haven't received the Holy Spirit. Maybe you haven't received God's adoption. In verse 4... This is their, before in verse 1 through 3, kind of their old condition. And he, he explains more of that in that verse 8 through 9, in verse 10 and 11. But going back to verse 4 of chapter 4, point number 2, but now you have come to be known by God. But now you have come to be known by God. There's a clear contrast, uh, contrast here about what they were, kind of enslaved, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. By, but now... They have come to be known by God. It's interesting how Paul phrases that there, starting in verse, verse, um, verse 8 and verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? I want to start with that and then go back to verse 4. That conversion to Christianity, conversion to the faith, doesn't start with you knowing God. It starts with God knowing you. The contrast between then and now, what you were under slavery, under that, that, that custodian, enslaved to sin, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but now you are now known by God. God's knowledge of you is where conversion starts. Where the contrast starts, where, it, where, it's, where it's rooted is in God's knowledge of you. Setting his affections on you. We see this in Galatians chapter 18, verse 19, that Abraham, that God had favor, or God put his affection on Abraham. Amos 3 2, Israel, uh, Amos says, You only have I know of all the families of the earth, that Israel, God put his affection on Israel. 1 John 4 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that He first loved us. Salvation is a work of God. We are no longer alienated from God because God chose to show His affection to us. He says in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, 
when the new era had arrived, a path of deliverance has arrived, and that is in the coming of Christ. God sent forth His Son in verse 4. Born of a woman, born under the law, Christ Jesus lived obediently, obedient to God's law while we did not and were cursed by not following the law perfectly. He became a curse for you to liberate and free those who were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, to redeem those who were born under the law. Born under that custodian, born under that, that enslavement to sin and that enslavement to the elementary principles of the world. He redeemed those. He came for those. He came into a world under the law to be God's plan of salvation, to make us a son or daughter of God from those who have been held captive under the law under the curse, under sin, under a custodian, under the elementary principles of the world. Yet Christ Jesus took all the slavery on Himself to free us. Think about that for a second. All of those things that we're under, under a curse, under the law, under sin, under a custodian, under the elementary principles of the world, Christ came into the world, and then put himself under all of that to free us from it. So that we may receive adoption as sons. We see this in verse 5. All of God's children are adopted out of slavery to sin. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts that is the confirmation of your adoption, of your deliverance, that you have been redeemed by Christ is the Holy Spirit in your life. That if you have been known by God, if you've been redeemed by Christ, if you've been redeemed from your slavery to sin by Christ, you've been adopted as His sons, you've received the Holy Spirit as a confirmation of that adoption and that deliverance. And he says in verse 6, We're by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this is uh, Paul using similar language that he uses in Romans 8, 15 through 16. But he uses the same word, the same title that Christ uses of God in Mark 14, 36. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Abba, Father, when he says, Lord, if this cup could, if it, if this cup could pass from me. Not your will, but my will be done. He uses that word, Abba, Father, before he goes to the cross. He calls out to God. He cries out to God. Abba, Father. This is a term of very intimate language talking about a relationship to a son, to his father. But what does Jesus say? Not my will, but your will be done. He trusts in his Abba, Father. A confirmation of our freedom from sin and our deliverance from that bondage of sin is the crying out and identifying God as Abba, Father. When we are redeemed, when we are saved, we have a Father, we have a Lord, we have a God, we have someone we can cry out to and who hears us as the Father hears the cries of His children. He says, You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, in verse 7. So why turn back to the elementary principles of the world? Why turn back to your bondage to sin? Why turn back to your bondage to the law? Why turn back to your paganism? You're no longer a slave, but a child of God. Seek to understand God's true nature. 
for all of us, is trying to understand God's true nature in any time of our lives, but especially in a time like today, understanding God's true nature so that you can be confident of His love and wisdom in your life right now. You who are maybe struggling with a lack of understanding, struggling with a lack of sleep, struggling with a lack of money, all of these struggles, which a lot of us are struggling with right now during this coronavirus pandemic, we must seek God's true nature so that we can be confident of His love and wisdom in our lives if we are actually in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then you don't know God. And you can't be confident of His love because you'll never be able to understand His true nature. But if you trust in Christ, if you're redeemed from your sins, if you're redeemed from your bondage to sin, you are then known by God, you know God, and you know His true nature, you know His love, you know His wisdom, and you can seek his understanding and wisdom and love during this time of struggle. Paul says in verse 21 through 28, talking to the Galatians, do you listen to the law? Do you know God's word? Do you know the scripture at all? If you knew the scripture, if you knew God's word, you'd be reminded of the two sons of Abraham. There was one that came from the slave woman, Hagar, born according to the flesh, right? Sarah, who was still had yet have a child, decided on her own to fix this problem for God, because God's the one that promised the son, that she would have her husband sleep with her handmaiden, Hagar, who was basically a servant, a slave. And that son was Ishmael. But that wasn't the son that God had promised. God promised a son from the womb of Sarah, Abraham's wife. As Paul calls her, the free woman, born through the promise. That Isaac was born through the promise. And this represented two covenants. You see this in verses 24 through 28. The first covenant, the covenant that came through Hagar, bearing children from slavery with Mount Sinai, which is where the law came from. But free Jerusalem, you see this in verses 26 through 28, our mother Sarah had a son of promise, Isaac, who represented the children of promise, who represented the offspring that Abraham was promised that was then fulfilled through Jesus Christ. When, he, when Christ came into the world, when he died, when he was the uh, sacrificial lamb for God's people, your faith in Christ made you an offspring of Abraham. And Paul has been talking about this throughout book of the book of Galatians. And he says here in verse 28, So brothers, we are no longer children of the slaves, but of the free woman. If you're in Christ, you're not a child of the slave, but a child of the free woman. He says in verse 30, Cast out the slave woman and her son. The son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. You are a child of promise. There is no greater status than being a child of promise to being a child of God. One of my favorite verses is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, which basically says that God is our great high priest who, uh, who sympathizes with our weaknesses, who is like us in every way, yet without sin. And that because of our faith in Christ, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that he may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you're in Christ, you're not a slave. But as a son or daughter, as an heir, one that was, we can cry out, Abba, Father. 
And we will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need from our Father who sits on the throne of grace. So in this particular time, it is essential to understand God's true nature, to understand God's grace. Because if you're ignorant of His nature, if you're ignorant of His grace, you'll never draw with confidence to His throne of grace and cry out, Abba, Father. Because if we have a Father, if we have a relationship with God, if we are His son or daughter, if we're an heir of God, then we are welcome to come to His throne of grace to then expect mercy and grace from our Father. Point number three, and the last point here, is since you are now free in Christ, stand firm in your freedom. Since you are now free in Christ, stand firm in your freedom. Going to verse, chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He says here in verse, of chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, in your freedom. You are no longer in a bondage of sin. You're no longer in a bondage to the elementary principles of the world. You're no longer a bondage to the law. But you're free in Christ. Your faith in Christ frees you to enjoy your status in God's family and to enjoy your inheritance, to enjoy the, the indwelling Holy Spirit in you. God has set us free. God has set forth in Jesus Christ our freedom, who became a curse for you, who was crucified for you, so that you may be liberated to enjoy the freedom of the gospel. As a son or daughter of God, a child of promise, not slavery, a receiver of the Holy Spirit, an heir of God, not a slave to the law or fear. Stand firm in your freedom, brothers and sisters. If you're not a Christian watching this or listening to this right now, put your faith in Christ. Be freed from the elementary principles of the world. Be free from the idolatry and the false gods that are worthless and weak and by nature not gods. Trust in Christ, who is the Son of God, who was God, who came into the world to save sinners and to free them from the bondage of sin. Do not submit again, Paul says, to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit to the elementary principles of the world. Bad habits to calm stress and fear during this time. Stocking up more than you need. Trusting that if you over-prepare, that that is your means of salvation. Isolating yourself from others. Trust your Father who knows you, who freed you, who adopted you, given you His Spirit, made you an heir in His kingdom. You have freedom from the fear of the unknown in Christ. You have freedom from dwelling on your own needs in Christ. You're free to care for others in Christ. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your ability to get as many things as you possibly can need in case you need it. Don't trust in your ability to isolate yourself from other people so you don't get this, this virus. Don't rely on bad habits like smoking or, 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 or overuse of alcohol or any other means to provide relief during this time. 
And don't isolate yourself from other people thinking that will be your, your way of salvation in this time. But trust in God. Trust in God. That's how you survive this coronavirus, by trusting in God, by trusting in God because He gave you His Son to free you from fear and sin. And if you don't know Christ, even if you survive this pandemic, even if you, if you are able to hold on to your job, in the, in the world's eyes, you may have survived this pandemic. But you will still be ignorant of God, not knowing who He is, and, 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 and still in bondage to sin, still in bondage to elementary principles of the world, still in bondage to the law. And no, not free. Free in Christ. Free to be adopted as a son or daughter of God free to be, receive His Holy Spirit, and free to enjoy His inheritance that is in Christ. So you, Christians, be like Paul. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in your faith and your freedom. And do not fall or submit to the yoke of slavery. To those who are not believers in Christ, trust in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. It's not about working. It's not about uh, 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 getting back into church. It's not about being religious. It's about being one who trusts in Christ for their deliverance and for their freedom. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that even on a video camera, watching it on television or watching it on our phones, that when your word goes out, Lord, when, the word of your, when your word is preached, encourages us and, and affects our lives. We praise you for that, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust in you, to trust in your nature, Lord, to trust in you as our Father who loves us, who has adopted us, Lord, who has freed us from our bondage of sin through Christ, who has given us the, the Spirit of Christ, who has made us inheritance, made us heirs of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust in what we have been given through Christ. May we not fall back into slavery. May we not fall back into fear. May we not fall back into worshiping the elementary principles of the world or worshiping the law or worshiping the things that are not truly God and by their nature weak and worthless and unable to save. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, help us to love our neighbors. Help us to, to be ones who are committed to others and trying, Lord, to, to be in community with other people during this time. But also, Lord, would you help us to be students of your word and to trust in your word and that you would help us to understand you better. In Jesus' name, amen.